This is the Low Tox Life Podcast with a new tune. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Talks Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 158. And no, you aren't listening to the wrong show. We have new music. How exciting is that? Only took me three and a half years to realize I had a bunch of incredibly talented independent musician friends and that I really should be picking a song and showcasing their music. So I have picked for us Melanie Horsnell's song, Birds, and it is one of my all-time favorite songs of hers. I've known Mel and her music for crazily 20 years now, and uh, in, in actual fact, in a past life, I used to do a few gigs around the place, and, uh, and I put on a residency for acoustic artists at a beautiful pub in Sydney that used to be called The Fringe Bar. It's uh, now called the Unicorn Hotel, back to its very former kind of pub name. Uh, but we all used to perform there and we had some amazing performers, Wes Carr, Lior, Paul Green, uh, Mel, um, and myself and my songwriting partner at the time. And we just had the best time. And I was always in awe of Mel's poetry, of her incredible musicianship as a guitarist, and of course, her unique voice. There's just nobody that sounds like Melanie Horsnell. So I hope you enjoy her beautiful song, Birds, that is now the intro and outro music for the podcast. I am also celebrating the fact that we have Mel's beautiful music joining us on the show by giving away 10 digital album copies. Uh, And uh, all you have to do to be one of the 10 people is be one of the first people to head to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast Click on today's show tile and pop your name in the comments. Uh, And uh, if you're one of the first 10, I'll be sending you the code to access your digital download. And that's a way for me to further support Mel's music by buying 10 copies for you guys. I'm a big believer in independent artists. I have never swiped or pirated anything. If you like someone's tunes at the local bar or pub and they're selling their album, buy it from them. They make peanuts on things like iTunes and stuff. And it's just such a beautiful way uh, to just uh, support independent music, good music. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's my pro tip. Always either head straight to the musician's website or buy from their gigs uh, direct. Of course, any kind of sale for a musician is better than nothing, but uh, I just wanted to give a plug for the way that we can support them best. Now, digital nutrition is the subject of today's show, and I know you guys are going to love this. We live in an age of being bombarded with messages about how we're using our phones too much, using games too much, computers too much. We need to digital diet. We need to digital detox. We feel ashamed. We feel guilty. Are we ruining our children's brains? And on and on the barrage of negative messaging around interacting with digital media is. So I wanted to invite a psychologist onto the show who specializes in cyber psychology and helps us today have a much clearer understanding of what healthy interaction with digital media is versus unhealthy, how to spot when things are getting unhealthy, what to do to prevent things from getting unhealthy, and how to harness the incredible potential of digital media uh, in our children's lives specifically. But to be honest, I think any adult, children or no children listening today, 
will have plenty of cause for reflection on today's topic and the points that Dr. Jocelyn Brewer puts forward for us. She's a Sydney-based psychologist and she's done a number of studies. She's worked with many families um, who are experiencing the darker side of uh, when one is out of control with gaming and uh, and potentially uh, online cyber networks that aren't serving positive messages. Uh, but she's also done so much excellent work to help make digital uh, use a, a positive part of our lives. Uh, and I think we need to carve out the positivity and prevent the uh the downward spirals that can happen if we don't actually develop a framework and some boundaries and get really mindful about how we're using it and what for. So it's a really, really great conversation and I'll jump into that one in a little second. I want to remind you that we have Walida sponsoring the show this month and your supporter offer for the Aussies listening is 15% off the entire range and free shipping for $79.95 orders or more. Uh, so you go to walida.com.au, your code is LOWTOXLIFE19, and just yesterday I received our family's box. Uh, I always, if I have to order online, I make sure everybody that might be ordering something online from that place consolidates uh, so that it's uh, lower emissions, um, but also so that we don't have to pay shipping and extra things. And so, yeah, we got our box, and I have actually put a picture of the box of things that we got in the show notes today uh, and it's floating around on Instagram stories as well so that you can see what we ordered. I actually swapped one product that I've normally used of theirs, the Smoothing uh, Rose Eye Cream, and I've gone up to the I am now about to be 44 eye cream in their range, <laughs> the Evening Primrose. Uh, and uh, and I'm not ashamed of being 44. It's an absolute blessing uh, and I'm eternally grateful to be on this beautiful planet. I'm never, ever negative about my age, but uh, my eyes need a bit of extra support these days and that's cool. I want to support them. So Evening Primrose eye cream it is. I'll let you know how I go with that, but I've tried it a couple of times and it feels just beautiful, super nourishing, not greasy. Now, let's hook into this incredible conversation. Uh, I'm really, really excited to hear what you guys think about uh, what Jocelyn had to say. Please do share your comments with me, share the episode online if you want to inspire other families to navigate this topic more positively and, uh, and let me know. Enjoy. Hello, Jocelyn Brewer. How are you? I am pretty well on this cold, rainy Sydney day. I know it's very cold, rainy Sydney, um, and uh, I'm pretty well too. It's feeling cosy to be inside. Now, I'm really looking forward to this chat because it is a topic that many a parent out there is trying to navigate in a way for the first time because when we were growing up, our definition of digital media was like Tetris and Ga galaxy galaga type games <laughs> like you know you would go to you go to the pinball machine at the local video shop I remember doing that and uh, and it was much more 2d the whole experience I remember getting a walkman with a rewind button was like pretty exciting. how exciting was that I got the yellow waterproof sports walkman you yeah <laughs> I was that kid all right. You had the Barbie bus and yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't get the Barbie bus. I never got the Barbie bus. <laughs> so that's, that's worth waiting for, I reckon. Yeah, my dad was really tech focused. So we were the first family with a computer. We, you know, he really did enjoy um, innovation in that way. Um, in what, yeah. sorry? Arta 97, you know, when you got the like CD of the encyclopedia. A hundred percent. Yeah. We got all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we were a really modest family in every other way. We grew up in an apartment. It wasn't a rich lifestyle, but it was really interesting how dad always was able to make the space for his passions and to get us excited about um, uh, where technology was headed. And my sister being younger and a firmly Y-Gen girl was at just the fastest adopter. And I noticed even as a Gen X kid that it was a bit slower for me. I've always struggled a bit with tech and certainly with internet stuff, which of course is the great irony of me having an online education business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just see the potential like my dad did. And I really love 
that I was brought up in a household where this was a really positive conversation and exactly what attracted me to bringing you on the show was reframing this as digital nutrition versus yet another thing that we need to be negative about, create shame around, um, make it a discipline thing, a reward-based thing, which can be really unhealthy and all that kind of stuff. So we're digging into all of that today. Can I start by um, understanding more where your fascination came for this topic? Was it once you were a psychologist or was it before that on a personal level? Yeah, it was actually as a process when I was becoming a psychologist. So I had to do a a project uh, when I trained from being a teacher. So working with young people and seeing, you know, that tech creep um, into the classroom. Um, And yeah, I got really interested at a the principal where I was at said to me, you should check out what's going on when we hand out laptops to kids and actually they hack them so that they can do tons of um, gaming and and they're not really doing this learning. And teachers were really confused and probably not um, empowered to know even how to teach really well with technology at that point. Mm. So it was at that point and then I just stayed really fascinated with Then when I got, I remember getting um, a flip phone that I could get the internet on. So I started checking my emails on that. Then I got a smartphone when I was about 32. So coming up to 10 years ago. Yeah, me Uh, too. I was about that age too. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and then realizing like how much it was colonizing my life and then still working with young people, noticing how it was coming through education and noticing how parents were getting really overwhelmed with what to do um, and sort of flip-flopping between the kind of, digital wild west and then like a real kind of ban and control and restrict and just thinking there has to be um like a way that we can find a a middle path Mm. um, that we can take control be really um conscious consumers and ask the right kind of questions in this new frontier yeah nice and so the words digital nutrition how did they come about for you because I had never heard those two words together. Yeah, a blip in my mind. I think I was on the radio talking about um, digital detoxing and people had sort of been talking about digital diets Mm. and there were a few people talking about technology diets and I was like, even the word diet for me still hasn't. I know that really hasn't worked well for us in any example of it. (laughs) incarnation over time (laughs) so maybe that could be the clue that that's not the way to tackle this yeah so and then I just talked about digital nutrition and for a while called myself a digital nutritionist which people then got very confused about and I've sort of dialed that back so more like cyber psychologist and and Mm. and teacher so it was really just that confluence of saying I don't want it to be about digital detoxing I don't want it to be about dieting or some prescriptive thing I want it to be empowering and positive and not a bloody another thing parents have to learn in order to feel like they're doing a good job Mm -hmm. and so let's pair it right back to the basics of digital media and the definition of that what is the scope of what that includes yeah look I I we've sort of get caught with this idea of screen time, but it really is the time that we spend interfacing with um, screen-based media. Mm-hmm. So that can be TV. I'm, I'm pointing to my TV over there. I still have one of those. I occasionally actually watch free TV. Um, but obviously phones, smartwatches, um, tablets, all of the different devices and what we're consuming, I guess, through that. So it can be um, social media and the things within social media that we do. can be games. Um, you know, there's a lot of utilities. I wouldn't say very many people are super like addicted or compo- compelled to use their phone because they're like scrolling their bank balance. Um, <laughs> all sorts of things. <laughs> things that we do and it's really bloody handy for. Um, yeah. So yeah, generally screen-based media use is a better form of saying screen time. Yeah. It's so interesting that you said there's a whole bunch of things that it's super useful for because there are. And I feel like one of the issues is, is that because we're on this and I'm actually replying to my mother about teeing up a time to pick up the sun to do the da, 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 or I'm actually transferring some money for the swimming lessons or, you know, all the things, um, But we, we're interruptible when we're doing all those things because we assume that the other person is obviously not doing something important if they're just on their phone. So it feels yeah. like there's two things there. Like we, 
know it's a massive time waster, but then we also assume everyone's always wasting time if they're on their phone and we're not acknowledging it for the positives as well. That's right. That's Mm. right. And the real moralistic question around what we do with our leisure time or how we should be spending our time and what is virtuous or what is good or what is, you know, goal-based and all of those sorts of things. So it's kind of like like we, I think leisure is still a little bit of a dirty word where Mm -hmm. we're so focused we're so so wake centric 100% 100% I'm really interested I've got friends who are a friend called Kate who calls herself a rest and renewal coach because mm-hmm. people have to learn how to to like stop doing stuff mm. um, Brene Brown talks about crazy busy culture and to some degree yes I don't think technology has solved the problems that it was hoping to I think many of us even though we're doing things in a much more, you know, I can pay my bills online, I can purchase my power through PowerShop online, I can press a few buttons, we're still being drawn back in all the time to this space where I just sort of describe it, it's like um, a bowl of like broccoli but you've also got pieces of chocolate in amongst it. (laughs) Do I go and get broccoli and do the good thing? You have to navigate past the chocolate and let's face it, some of us stop to have a little, you know, nibble on the way. (laughs) me in this virtuous clean space ignoring all the digital distractions eating only the digital broccoli and 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 being really good at this um so you know that that's one of the challenges and that's the challenge for for kids at school with their laptops open where they should be doing learning and you know let's take the example of laptops rather than a smartphone the number of kids that i know are on google docs talking to their friends (gasps) because it's live time yes it looks like you're doing work. Yes, you could be collaborating on your English project. <gasps> but many kids are actually just writing amazing fan fiction or chat like it's the new note passing. I was a really great note passer. Yeah, um, I was a bit of a note passer as well. Copious letters to, to kids um, at boarding schools, um, those kinds of things. So... Yeah, look, it's it's really tricky because even in the guise of doing educational stuff, what what even is educational in 2019? Um, mm, it's a really interesting crossroads, isn't it? Yeah. With what's being taught and what's needed for life. Right, like where do we learn concentration and mm. attention? And mm. even things like mindfulness training isn't necessarily going to teach you that. Yeah. How to kind of focus on stuff that you really don't want to be doing, like mm. the relevant right now Mm. Uh, where you could be you know fan fiction is a really interesting example of some of the creative stuff that young people are doing online because it's so passionate about the thing that they're into Mm. so um yeah lots of lots of different so so many examples and so do you feel like with digital media there is an ideal time to start uh, there are a lot of experts that obviously, like if you're looking at the EMF exposure school of thinking, blood-brain barriers of toddlers, et cetera, and, and wanting to keep devices away from them or on airplane mode and all of the safety stuff that we've talked about on the show before with um, Nicole Bilsma. But I mean more from the psychological perspective when I talk to you about this is it okay for our babies to watch half an hour of TV? I know there are quite a few guidelines that kind of swim around on the internet. What are your thoughts? Um, look, it's all about, it's a combination of things. So obviously time is a predictor of, of some things. For instance, if you're spending a, a big chunk of time online, then that generally means you're not doing another thing. Um, so, you know, the, the big concern is the way that that screen time is eating into, for instance, time that we might be otherwise moving mm. with lessons. Um, look, we it's a it's a really tricky one because there's so much content out there. And the question really is what kind of content you're consuming or you're showing your little person and the context that that's happening in. So on a day like today where it is feral outside, then having a little bit more really good quality TV. So, you know, and again, I won't go into you know, naming names or shaming, you know, certain things, but, you know, the traditional play school Sesame Street style things we definitely know is are really great for um, certain aspects of learning. Mm. Um, in the context of, um, you know, on a bushwalk sitting on your device watching <laughs> stuff that's, kind of sounds a bit like a poker machine and has lots of dings and pings probably not so good yeah if you're 
unsold. And we know that it sets up habits. We know that little people don't take very many exposures to something before they want that thing again. Yeah. Um, we have to be really cognizant of the way that we use our phones, that we share it, we take photos and we put our phone in between us and the little person to try and capture all the amazing things that they're doing and what that says to them about how important the phone is, how important they are and how that then interrupts some of the communication that um, is so crucial in those early years. Mm, yeah, that's such a great distinction. Um, and then obviously uh, it can turn into a bit of a freight train and you feel like you're unable to stop it if yeah. you don't keep an eye on it and teach <laughs> digital nutrition to your kids. Yeah. You have something called the three M's and I mm-hmm. think that that's a really useful framework. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so um, it's mindful, mm-hmm. meaningful and moderate. So mindful is really just being completely present to when you're on your device. So really engaging fully rather than the mindless scroll and just kind of not not being there and connecting with, what, with what's there. Um, meaningful is really all about then what you're connecting with having meaning and purpose uh to you and being aligned to your goals so that's i guess the point at which you might see a few memes saying you know if somebody's not making you feel good online unfollow them get that out of your feed that's not to say if you disagree with something or someone you should not listen to them and make space for for different opinions but actually some just make you feel crap and post toxic um, sort of ideas and their, their yeah. Take. Well, and the differentiation there is make one feel bad about oneself in a sh- ashamed, guilty, um, no. negatively introspective way, unloved, unworthy, yeah. or um, I really don't like what you have to say, but it is based in fact, and I yeah. should stick around to challenge my own thinking on that. Right. That's actually really healthy. We need more of that because we're all ending up in these little bubbles. Okay completely yep. offended by anyone who thinks differently to us. And that's and super have, unhealthy. Yeah, we don't know how to have respectful debates mm. and how to bring curiosity and respect to going, wow, you believe something completely different to me. How do I understand that without, you know, again, bringing in the shame or the guilt or the othering because we're not all identical and we're not all in those same little um thought bubbles so um yeah that that's the kind of meaningful piece that um you know you're mindful but then the stuff that you're consuming actually helps you get where you're going um and aligns to some of your goals and values and then finally moderate is that we're moderating both the amount of time that we spend online because obviously if it's too much you can't be activating some of the things that really matter to you but also moderating how we respond online and um we sort of do some weird things when we're online because we're not necessarily looking at somebody so we're not getting some of those non-verbal cues that we would get if we were face to face and sometimes that gives us license to be a little less kind and a little less thoughtful because we're not having um, that eye contact. So it's called the digital disinhibition effect. Um, so really moderating how we respond and moderating as if, you know, somebody was actually sitting there and you had to say those words to them rather than just typing into a void. So they're my three M's. And, and these are just principles. If we switch them on in our brain as we were using technology, I think we would bring a little bit more kind of centred purpose and, and maximise the benefits rather than slipping into yeah, that time-wasting, regretful kind of space. Mm. And how can we um, work with our child? Like for me, it seems like the opportunity here or the necessity rather is that we actually sit with them and see where their mind goes and help them analyse what they're watching, whether it's useful, whether it's just pure fun and that's absolutely okay or whether it's actually just watching other people live their lives instead of living your own, like... It feels like we need to really help them raise their awareness around the different types of um, uh, time wasting um, in our wonderful free time, which is, of course, absolutely fine to spend in a healthy way, yeah. you know, taking our mind off real life. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, there's so many different types. And I just have instinctively with my little guy who's 10 um, helped him see that watching like say food hack videos I just sort of I I was like what 
what's he watching? I know this music. It's almost like Muzak. And so I just said, can I come and watch with you for a while? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And we basically both got entranced by the million and one things you can do with an egg yolk (laughs) on this ridiculous thing. And it just kept going. And then, of course, it suggested the next video, which was fruit art. And then I was like, dude, why don't we do some experiments in the kitchen instead of just watching this thing go on? Like it's never going to end. You're never going to have seen all the food tricks on the internet never once in your lifetime will you be able to say that. My dad is trying to watch every single video on YouTube about warships, you know. Right, yeah. He to the end of that because I'm not <laughs> sure how many warship videos from there. But <laughs> form these kind of really um, tight kind of spirals of things that we're interested in because we've fed the algorithms all the information about us. Yeah. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful example because there's so much we can learn but when we uh, sort of just watch and passively consume without then saying, let's go and create our own, you know, fruit art or let's go and do something in the kitchen from what we've learned. Mm. So this idea of collecting knowledge without the practical application, I mean, that's why kids are so disengaged with learning, right? It's like, yeah. what do I maths for? I want to go do maths. Mm. So finding ways that you can leapfrog what you learn into being, you know, creative and doing, you know, real life, whatever real life is, offline activities where you then have the conversations about things. So I talk about co-play, viewing and conversations. So it used to be that we had, you know, one TV, we'd fight over who watched what, maybe we all agreed to watch E Street on a Thursday night or whenever it was. And there would be, um, you know, we would uh, consume that all together. So we had that thing to talk about. Similarly, there might be that one Dolly magazine that somebody brought to school that we crowd around mm. and kick off those conversations. So it's really using digital media to kick off the conversation or kick off the relationship and grow that rather than us all having our own devices, our own little worlds that we sink into and that we don't then bring any of that knowledge back to find real connection and purpose around how we can communicate and build our relationships. So mm. really great examples. And I think a lot of parents do the whole, oh, I don't get the online world. I don't get games. Games is not my thing. And I think that really creates such a chasm between us and young people because we don't bring curiosity to that. We just bring judgment and we're mm. just sort of going, Ugh, I don't get it, which to them is a state signal that it's not important. And, and them, it also says you don't get me, doesn't it? Totally. And and then we want young people to come and tell us when bad stuff happens on the internet and when people are mean or there's creepy stuff happening. And if you've spent a long time reinforcing that that's not my space and I don't get it, young people will not do that. Mm. They're also particularly afraid that if they come to you and tell you about anything that's going wrong on the internet, the first thing you're going to do is cut off their phone, their gaming, their whatever. And that's kind of like their third arm. Mm sometimes more important to them than even the family pet or has become the family pet. So there's a lot here in um, that that digital divide and the generation gap just with how we bring curiosity to the conversation rather than judgment and, like, I don't have time to learn about Fortnite or work out why it's such a phenomenon. Mm. Yeah, amazing. So much to learn. Okay. And I, for me, it looks, I think about the movie Footloose mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the dad is the pastor and you can't possibly have his daughter like dancing and going to parties. And, but like, if you actually then, which he does, bless him, John Lithgow at the end of the film, takes the time to understand why this lights his child yeah. up so much then he's all for it at the end. Same thing and girls just want to have fun. Like all the 80s dance movies are the same, like the super strict parent who refuses to acknowledge that that might be the thing that lights that child up and that actually creates so much divide and they end up sneaking around doing a whole bunch of stuff you're never going to hear about anyway. That is basically what the research shows us about the authoritative parents are more likely to have kids who have to work harder to have that social connectedness. So when kids work really hard to go online, it's because they're trying to find their tribe and they're trying to connect and be a part of, you know, just how society works these days. So I really encourage, like, it's not about having no boundaries, but I encourage parents to really look at what their fears are and and look at what they're trying, what, what they're trying to develop in young people 
in terms of quality content, safe content, aligned to your values, really those three M's um, because the restrictive stuff really subverts kids into taking many more risks than they would if they were supported to do things in a healthy kind of open way. And, you know, again, it's not about necessarily letting your eight-year-old sign up to Instagram because everybody else is. We've got to hold firm on some of those boundaries, but then it's about saying, well, by the time you are 13, if you're not on some of these devices, then that's going to be a form of ostracism just in itself because Mm. you're not the same kind of conversations because you're not reading this you know same virtual dolly magazine so it's um it's very complicated and there's there's not that one prescription there's not one kind of diet that i can prescribe because everybody has different values parents have different approaches to how they want to use tech and and their understanding and confidence with technology um so it's this moving feast where people really need to ask themselves you know, important questions about what their values and what, how they want their family to kind of um, live, you know. This mm. is about how we live, how we spend our time. Yeah, absolutely. And I notice, you know, if I've got a big launch happening or something really busy in my business and I work through the weekend and I don't do it often, but I notice it'll mean that everyone in the, fam- everyone in the family is on their screens more that weekend. It just becomes like everyone's waiting to follow the lead of whoever's on the screen to be able to then be on the screen. <laughs> so I feel like I'm really mindful then that we just do a big hiking weekend, we go away, we do go down to the farm, visit the grandparents, everything that we could possibly do that has absolutely nothing to do with screens so that it doesn't just become, oh, it's the weekend at screen time because... We also have in our family no iPad during the week unless you're doing Duolingo or Mathletics. And then on the weekend, um, you know, you can, you can enjoy a couple of hours, no problems. And, and even with that, being able to say, how do we feel given that we did spend a lot of time on the screens? Like, okay, for you it was a utility. For kids mm. it was sort of like the, the domino effect of that. Mm. And it's really noticing, gosh, when we do that, we feel different or we mm. feel that wasn't as great as when we do go hiking or, you know, and just being able to tune in and have that emotional awareness is such an important skill that you can apply to all sorts of contexts. Yeah, totally. But again, it's not, it's not about, Oh, you had to work and you shouldn't have to work. Well, some Mm. people work all the time. I think that's why unplugging for many families um, that I work with um, and I, and you know, in the schools in the areas that I, I work in, you know, not having a phone or not being online, they wouldn't get the shifts. They wouldn't be able to pick up the shifts they need. Like we, we live in this gig economy. Um, so, you know, it, it's not about for me unplugging or banishing devices. It's about being intelligent and intentional in how that, where that sits in, in your life. Mm, absolutely. And I've noticed ever since Seb was really small, if he spent time on the iPad that was sort of beyond half an hour and we would always have it in airplane mode, but I, I would just notice his, he'd become fuzzy and tired. Brainful. Even Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that foggy feeling, so I would draw his attention to the fact that he had a foggy feeling and he'd just been on the screen. And so now if he's just been on a screen for an hour, hour and a half, um, I wouldn't tend to, I, I'd tend to get involved at that point and then we both go off and do something together rather than, te- you know, walk past his room and say no more screen time. That yeah. just doesn't work and it doesn't feel nice for me either. Um, Balancing the screen time with the green time. Yeah, really love it. Yeah. it. And then we just go and do something, tennis, we book a court, we go bike riding, whatever, yeah. Because the brain really needs time to wind down like like it does to get off to sleep. To, to When we come away from devices, all of that thinking and cognitive load that we're building up, mm. really um, some kind of resettling. Um, a really great analogy is kind of like a, a glitter, um, what do you call those, snow, bo- snow cones? A snow thing? globe, yeah. Snow globe, snow globe. Shaking that up, you know, you get all... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for it all to settle back down best way to do that is to get grounded in nature if you can or do something that's really kind of, um, yeah, just switching switching back and letting all that glitter settle. So, yeah. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. Um, so obviously there are issues, there are times and cases where tech time and tech involvement becomes, it does become a negative for many Absolutely. families, it is a huge struggle and there are addictions, 
the the dopamine cycle has been affected massively and it feels like you have no way into your child to get them out of there. So you've obviously done work with families, not just from a light education, let's, you know, learn the three M's and do it right kind of thing, but you've worked with some really tough cases. Mm -hmm. How do we first get the signs that um, our digital media interaction or our child's digital media interaction is not a great thing? It's, it's, It's doing them more harm than good. It's a really great question because the, uh, I guess the question of addiction is really about the negative impacts and that is a spectrum. So for mm-hmm. some families, um, you know, it can be things like swearing and aggression or tantruming around having to get off is, is it a really big deal and signals massive problems. For other families, by the time we're actually working with that young person, they maybe haven't gone to school for a couple of terms. Wow. So in terms of um, sort of arresting uh, the slide and, and knowing when to in, intervene, it's, again, really values-based. But when you notice that things like um, uh, the activities that they used to enjoy they're not engaging with, that there's a real pull to as soon as you're um, off the device trying to find a way to get back on again, needing to spend more time, all of those kind of key things mm-hmm and be signs that it's going into a, a bit of a pathological or problematic space rather than it being a, a habit, a, a hobby, sorry, it becomes quite habitual. Um, and look, increasingly, um, you know, school counsellors, psychologists all really understand this. So going off maybe to your GP and seeking some support and actually getting some family therapy or getting some help, like, either as a parent for setting some boundaries and weaning and, and, and um, walking back the tech use or for, the, you know, the whole family because it is kind of like a family approach. It's not just about saying, oh, this young person is using technology too much, please go and, you know, take away that desire and that motivation mm. because motivation to play, for instance, games is really key to why it's so compulsive and, and digging into maybe some of the other things that are going on, um, which can be things like bullying or feeling socially anxious and not feeling them their true selves in the playground, whereas in a game they've got their avatar, they've got their skills, they've got their kind of feeling of competence and autonomy and that's why it becomes so enchanting for young people and I use those kind of words a lot of the time rather than addiction because um that's where it starts I guess Mm. that enchantment and like the power of it it then slips because we're not regulating our emotions um in the in the offline space we're processing a lot of or avoiding processing a lot of what's going on for us by jumping into games so one of the key things we know about why when gaming becomes problematic is when it's used um as an escape or a crutch for processing some of that stuff that's going on so many young people who do end up with that pathological pointy end of of gaming use generally have some sort of other thing that's triggered it and the catalyst for it has not been integrated or or dealt with very well so it could be you know parents separating or getting divorced that you know the death of a grandparent transition to a new school that maybe didn't go particularly well all those sorts of things that um, we retreat into games rather than dealing with the thing that's happening Mm. and what are some of the sort of success story steps to to change things for those families yeah, um, really good question. It's it's much like um, the way that we treat um, eating disorders as a family-based therapy approach is, is one of the, the, the best ways. So it is about um, rethinking the values, recognize, first of all, recognising that there's a problem um, and, and stepping back where technology sits. That might be the point that there isn't the need for a digital detox. However, um, even in those cases, it can be way too traumatic um, and, and too difficult for a family to put those, ba- the, those boundaries into place. So what I do is I actually diversify kids' digital diets. So it might sound a little bit crazy, but I ask kids to go and play different types of games. So rather than being obsessed with the kind of shooting violent games, we might go and find a game in a sort of library of games called Games for Change. And these are games that are much more pro-social, have more beautiful narratives and storytelling and things like that, and really changing the digital diet by imp- like um, supplementing with more um, sort of digital nutrition, I guess. So. Yeah, the whole foods of the digital world. <laughs> I love it. 
yeah. food. Um, I, I guess I did a, a, a little TED talk um, several years ago now about whether or not serious games are actually a digital superfood because the power of, um, you know, most games are about problem solving. If we took that energy and applied it into mm. solving problems in the world, games could actually save the planet. And, and one of the key influences in my work, um, Jane McGonigal, her first TED Talk about 10 years ago, I think it's 2010, um, was all about how we could harness the, the power of gameplay to actually solve some real-world problems. So. Mm, so all that work I did as a 12, 13-year-old beating every single level in Mario Brothers you go. is yep. why I'm a good problem solver today. <laughs> I love it. I, I should be sure to share, share that with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting that instead of, it's not about leaving tech, it's about changing what you do with tech. So that, I mean, because that's like, what an amazing tool. Like you can't do that when you're quitting cigarettes. It's like, let's get you to have a different cigarette. That's not going to work in that like addiction. But the beautiful thing with tech is you can turn something that's causing you harm and making you socially less and less capable, less and less resilient because things just become all about this one world you're in, you safely then go and explore other worlds and other challenges all still online to rebuild some of that resilience and warm yourself back up to diverse online and offline interaction. That is brilliant. It's, it's kind of like uh, the film industry, you know, like we're, we're mm. so focused on these big Hollywood rated sort of ga- Hollywood level games that we forget there's this whole industry of like amazing Australian art house films that actually tell beautiful stories and that light us up in different ways. And of course, there's a space for, you know, the rom-com or the trashy movie. But um, a lot of gamers actually are really interested in like solving problems and, and working together. Mm. It's always this kind of fake thing, right? So a lot of citizen science games, um, there's all sorts of ways that we can participate and contribute and, and refocus that energy into something that's much more meaningful and then has that ripple effect too in, in lots of kids um, then find their passions because they find that um, there is a problem that they feel that they can contribute positively to. Um, I was thinking this morning about climate distress and how for so many of us it's just like, well, apart from stop having plastic and buy green power, what am I supposed to do? Mm. Um, and, and, and I think that pervades a lot of young people's thinking as well. It's like they have a sense that not of doom and gloom but that things are not in the best place in the world and so gaming just, whew, yeah, Takes, gives, exit stage left. <laughs> yeah. By a bit. yeah. Yeah. So do um, like the difference between girls and boys then uh, mm-hmm. is either um, gender more likely to play certain types of games online or interact with tech online in a different way? Yeah, so much of the, I guess, gender stereotype is that the boys are more into gaming and that girls do more social media and more connecting. They're much mm-hmm. more relationships so um that generally holds relatively firm obviously there's lots of girls who enjoy gaming um some of the games that they might play um for enjoyment as opposed to for socializing so lots of kids play Fortnite these days many are bored with Fortnite as a game but they go there because that's where everyone's hanging out so it's Mm. like being all or being in a skate park um girls will play um well, I mean, there's a gazillion games out there, right? So it really depends. There's And there's many more people playing social and mobile games, which is very different to console gaming and the, and the kind of stereotypes that we would usually find with, you know, <clears throat> you know, 20-something dudes sitting, not having moved from their console for 24 hours and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah social games and games related to some of their, their passions and things. So lots of anime games because lots of kids are into anime and, and stuff like that, but huge broad range. Mm-hmm. Like the group of people who are um, increasing their gaming habits most in Australia are the over 65s because they've all got their phones and they all know that doing brain training things and playing games is good for their mental health and brain health. So they're actually the like group in, in society who are increasing gaming the most. Wow. Yeah. Stop telling your son off. Maybe start telling your mum off. Yeah. 
about words with friends or all the different things that they're playing. Yeah, uh, I actually got into a words with friends addiction a couple of years ago. I was just hell-bent on beating everybody at Scrabble. <laughs> just had and- to step away from the whole thing. You know, even how we use addiction in that context, what you're saying is it was a guilty pleasure and I love doing it and I good. <laughs> um, not during my work day though, Jocelyn, <laughs> that's not healthy. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, it's not healthy if you were still doing it and you weren't, your business hadn't bloomed since then, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting because I hear this word addiction so often, my brain's attuned to it. But, mm, yeah. You know, most like listening in for the different um, contexts that it's being used, used in. So, yeah. yeah, it would, for me, if I feel that it is unhealthy, it would be that I had seen a ding and I was in the middle of something really important. And I would actually leave that important thing and go chase the ding and put my word in. That's when I know, no, this is actually not a useful thing for me to have in my life. And so I just ditched it because, um, you know, there would always just be someone who would have a turn. So you would always have to have a turn if you had like four or five games on the go. And that's, for me, that ended up actually translating to there's always... Um, a quick win of something you can do right now. And, really? um, and that's, a, yeah, that re- reminded me of smoking for me because I was smoked in my 20s. Mm. And I just thought, no, no, that's not good. But that's yeah. the beauty of being a bit older when you interact with things and you see they're not going away that's useful for you, right? But kids right. need the direction and the support to navigate yeah. that. Mm. Yeah, because they haven't been there before. They haven't kind of gone, oh, this reminds me of when I was smoking and my this reminds me that this is not in line with my values. They don't have that prefrontal cortex and that mm. ability to look at patterns and reflect and then make choices in the same way that we do. Um, and I think that's the number one thing that I think parents are magically hoping their kids will get. Like just think like a, you know, 42-year-old. Well, a 16, 17, 22-year-old is not going to be able to do that, and especially without any support. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex. That's such a, yeah, the prefrontal cortex thing is such a good call. Like we need to remember that that's not developed yet and we can't just expect them to like hear a boundary, learn a thing and just take it on and it's done. Like there's a lot of work that needs doing to shape why that's important. That's, that's so good. Yeah. yeah. They, and need, then, they need to be repeated, mm. they need to be relevant and then they need to go and rehearse it, you know. So the message comes in, they get why that's important and then they practice it in real life. So unfortunately a lot of the things that we're trying to teach teenagers, we hope they never have to use mm. and they, really ever come up in times of crisis and the first thing that the brain does in time of crisis is forget everything in the prefrontal cortex and go straight into the amygdala hijack so that's why the rehearsal is so important in these situations yeah so good and then I I just um I feel like we talked about gaming and Fortnite, and that obviously affects a higher percentage of boys in the stats and you did mention briefly girls are more into connecting and social media that can obviously hit a point where that's unhealthy as well. Uh, And, you know, um, I I saw Dr. Nikki Stamp has just brought out a a wonderful new book on, you know, the whole online health look, Mm -hmm. especially aimed at young girls. And I feel like I had felt like as an ex-gen chick about up to about seven years ago, oh, finally, this whole body confidence movement's coming in, There's some really fantastic body positive conversations, but Instagram just came on in, blew up, and, you know, the selfie was born. And I feel like, you know, it stopped just being about a face. It started being about these crazy poses so that it doesn't look like you have an ounce of fat on your body, which, of course, is not a problem if one did, but, you know, these poor girls are now growing up in a world that like it's not just about the supermodels it's about every man's best friend in a bikini like it's everybody (laughs) so how do we help girls yeah that t-shirt we had like six only six people um in the world are supermodels yeah and you know and now it's like six six people are supermodels six million are like instagram influencers and then they're trying to keep up so 
um, look, it's a really interesting space, that whole wellness, and there is some really great mental health and body positivity stuff. There is. Yeah, we have to acknowledge there's some absolutely brilliant stuff happening. I love And then it gets into that fitspo and even the eating disordered kind Mm. of space is really, really tricky. And what we need here for for all young people and, in fact, for ourselves, because I see a lot of, you know, not so youthful people getting very confused by these messages. We That's need- a nice thing to call us. <laughs> not so not youthful. youthful. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have many words for that. You know, um, the, the levels of sleep deprivation that just kind of, you know, turn your brain to ash. Um, just needing media literacy, like to be able to look at that and look at some of the, the ways that things are highlighted and shown and just really bring it back down to, um, you know, what happens in an average day. Mm. The, the compare and despair kind of uh, situation, that comparison being the thief of joy um, really pervades this space. And I think, I think to some degree young people do actually see that and go, that is BS or that took a long time to be curated and and there's more being built into things where there is, you know, the ability to say this is a, a paid post or a, you mm. know, and things like that. There is a lot of movement in that space to kind of call out um, uh, what's going on. I mean, even Nikki Stamp is a part of um, the Lifestyle Suite, which is really about saying we want to make sure our experts really are experts. When mm. you're not but because you did an online nutrition course and you've got a million followers. Yeah. Death of expertise is especially difficult in that space because of the whole wellness versus um, science and and good practice Mm. and bringing media literacy then into that to say, well, who is this person and what are their qualifications to tell me what to eat or how to work out is really, really important. It's super important. And I feel like, um, a, as usual, it was a few bad examples that then created this whole industry. Because when I first started looking at holistic health, um, it was because nothing in conventional medicine helped me, right? And so there, there's a beautiful thing about a whole bunch of groups of people trying to come together to find alternative practitioners or anyone who can help people move their health forward when one hasn't been able to do that through conventional medicine. I mean, you know, no profession is perfect. No profession has the answer for everybody. It's impossible. Even within medicine, there's, we know there's huge problems. Exactly. Yeah. So I get uh, a part of it, but I certainly don't get, um, you know, what you get where people are like the keto chef or the um, the vegan hoo-ha or, you know, whatever it is, like you whack a food label on it and then boom, it's meal plans, recipes, you've got to eat this way. It's like, hold on, have you checked in with anyone about your blood work, your genetics, yeah. like anything at all? Like it's really important that you still take the steps to um, go through uh, more traditional diagnostic metal me- and and, and that's in, yeah it sits within people understanding that professions like psychology chiropractics all of those things we're regulated I'm, mm. I'm in a health industry so I can't make claims on social media I even using social media as a psychologist and I can't tell you about my life some of the things that I could disclose as a psychologist you kind of don't want your psychologist to have told you so mm. You know, the regulation of health professions um, sort of means that some of the ways that, that we could share on in these spaces is shut down, whereas other people with, with kind of less regulation and qualifications can make claims and can kind of use some dodgy tactics. Yeah, pre- which seems really unfair. Which is really damaging. It is, you know. Yeah. And, and maybe, is, you know, some of these professions and, and the, the guidelines on social media for us need to change a little bit so that we can, um, I guess, compete with the tsunami of information out there, which is sometimes based on misinformation or just really crappy statistics. Yeah. So I think for, for me, again, what I'm hearing is helping our girls become analytical. What is this bringing to you? Are you feeling great interacting with this? Are you not? Um, you know, maybe let's research together some really cool, inspiring people to follow that have to do with the, your favourite subjects at school or, you know, like your favourite sport or whatever and and really start helping them see how to curate 
what they interact with online just as we do with the boys and the games. Absolutely. Um, And then, of course, the non-gender stereotypical opposite of both of those because, of course, not every kid follows uh, fits into stereotypes. Oh, and that's the other great thing is that I, I guess the trans and gender questioning kids mm. have a really fantastic space um, in social media yeah. to be able to share those stories. And, and that's like a key key thing, I, I guess, is that ability to find your tribe and, you know, your mo- most niche or kind of small group is you will find in that, that digital space. Well, yeah. I mean, a, a gay teen in the 80s, didn't have many places they could go until hopefully they met some people like them later after years of physical, mental torture, if anyone at school knew, if anyone at the office knew, if anyone at the church knew. Like so there's a beautiful, like if you're a minority of any kind, you can find solace. But then, of course, there's a dark side to that as well when you look at extremist communities like, um, what is it, 8chan? Um, yeah. yeah. And so you're a minority thinker. Um, and then you find other minority thinkers and then it starts to feel like the truth and you build belief around something that is not based in fact. And, um, and so it feels like there's this beautiful bit and then, whoa, like you get to like, and so really this is about interacting as much as we can with our kids and the technology they use, right? I feel like it just always comes back to don't always. deny it, learn it, understand it, and go on the journey with them. Absolutely, yeah. Look, it's the, especially with the the kind of extremist stuff that is out there. Um, and we've I've just been at the e safety conference, the Australian New Zealand kind of all coming together and talking about some of these issues and the Christchurch call and all of those things. Incredible. Mm fronting side of what we've created um and and there is a lot of hope and there's a lot of work going on in that space but the the main message is really kind of without creeping on your kid know where they're at and know some of their vulnerabilities and the reasons that they might be seeking out some of this stuff um you know, whether it's in 8chan or it's the kind of toxic language that they're using when they are in games so playing a violent video game and then talking in really disrespectful, misogynistic ways while in that game are completely mm. then you know, need addressing. So it does come back to values. It does come back to um, expectations and consequences and reinforcing, um, you know, what, what really matters. And that takes time and many parents don't have time. We're all feeling this constant busyness. And I would really just encourage people to reflect on what their priorities are and, you know, kind of like we do when, when our kids are really, really little, they're never going to be at this age again and, and the ability for them to be um, influenced uh, negatively is, is quite clear um, if, they're, if they're having some struggles that aren't being addressed well in that, you know, face-to-face space in, in real communities through school or whatever extracurricular mm. spaces they're in. Jocelyn, such a good chat. Oh, my gosh, I feel like our parents out there are breathing a sigh of relief that they have a bit of a framework and some tools to tackle something that is so new for so many of us. And of course, completely understandable if the first way one went as a parent was, oh, I'm not going to get into that. That's, I'm too old for that. I don't understand it. And let this be a new day where we actually get curious, get involved with our kids and start to understand what their motivations and values are around the things that they're doing online and how to help them navigate it more safely and in a fun, nutritious way, which I absolutely love your message. Thank you so, so much. Fabulous. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, And uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at lotoxlife.com 
Botox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Botox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.